So my suggestion, since you're making a uh, rare comeback, is that, Dave, you handle the uh, honors for this episode. Okay, well, I've got the compendium <laughs> right here, so. As our guest, Dave, we feel that is our guest. all the work for. That is our guest at all. As a member of our of our elite as, crew. As a valued member of our team, Dave, we feel you should do all the work. <laughs> Two D, the flat frontier. These are the voyages of the Pancake Enterprise. Its rotoscoped mission to repeat the same animation and music, to transcend the limitations of 70s animation, to go boldly where no cartoon has gone before. Toon Trek, based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, starring. Paul Spataro. Also starring Dave Pascarella. With Bill Robinson and Andrew Leyland as Andy. Production assistants J. David Wheater. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to the show that is this show, the show. I am J. David Wheater popping in for a one off, maybe. And uh, you're used to the normal. Yeah, it is. Um, you're used to the normal cohorts here, such as the one you just heard, Mr. Paul Spataro. Hello. And over here we've got, in my window, Mr. Andrew Leyland. Hello. That's a metaphorical window for Skype people. And then we've got hmm. Dr. Bill Robertson, who actually window. is in my window, breathing on me, like a panting. Like a big giant bear. With fangs. <laughs> and then last, but definitely not least, the other David, David Pascarella. Yes, we are in the same place at the same time. There are two of us. And I Building castles in the sky. My God, they're multiplying. <laughs> we're like Mogwai. Somebody got us wet. Oh. And we're back to cover the second episode of Star Trek the Animated Series, or the first if you lived in Los Angeles during first airing. And I don't have the release date. One moment. Is that true? Yes. Uh, in Los Angeles, when the show was coming out, the first episode had to be preempted because George Takei was running for office. So if they ran that episode, the first episode then they would have to give the other candidates equal time. We're just animation in the show. But it's George Takei. It's, it's you know, legal. This is Federation Councilman Bob Jones. <laughs> <laughs> they would have had to have James Doohan do his voice. James Doohan did so many voices. Six voices in this episode alone. Seven. <laughs> Seven, I think. Oh, including Scotty, yeah. yeah. And they all sound the same. <laughs> uh, I'm old Scotty. Oh. Where in the world? Do we have any Star Trek news to vamp for time? Discovery's on the show that we're doing the news section on this show. I didn't know. I'm just walking in completely unaware. There we go. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, Discovery's almost over. So, no. That's the answer. Yeah. And Picard's second season film has been pushed back. What was that, Dave? I said I I, I stopped. Picard was pushed back, is what Andy said. So, I guess we just roll right into this without the news section. Nobody gave me a a read-in, so I'm winging it. Oh, Poncho, like gonna wing in a prayer. I I can give you one, Dave. What? What? No, not again, Bill. <laughs> um, <laughs> not falling for that again. <laughs> so this time we are looking at yesteryear, which is episode two of season one. I mean, really, season two is two episodes. You could just call it episode two. Directed by surprise, surprise, Hal Sutherland, of course. Written by DC Fontana, her one and only entry to the animated series. And this originally aired on September 15th, 
1973. And I'm going to read a synopsis from the Star Trek compendium, because it's nice and concise. And it rhymes. Yeah. Sorry, i got to get this out of the way. Federation personnel, including Kirk and Spock, explore the planet Orion's past using the Guardian of Forever. When they return, no one recognizes Mr. Spock. For the past five years, the Enterprise's first officer has been Andorian named Thelen. Thelen. That guy. Ship's records reveal that Sarek and Amanda Sum was killed at the age of seven and that the couple separated after their loss. Spock recalls that years before, during his Kaswan? Kaswan? I thought somebody was going to have something there. Shaka Rock Khan? the Kaswan. There we go. Rock the Kaswan. I was setting up for a, for a Shaka Khan. <laughs> <laughs> a Vulcan coming of age ritual. A distant cousin, Selick, not Tom, saved his life. James. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you knew there was going to be a Tom Selleck reference in there. I didn't even catch that when on the I show. watched it. Oh, really? Nope, nope. But Spock realizes he must return through the Guardian and become Selleck to rectify the distorted timeline. Arriving in his home city of Shishkabob, oh, <laughs> Selleck saves a young Spock's life, but the boy's pet Selet, Achea, is gravely wounded. Given the choice of keeping his beloved pet alive for a short time longer or offering the Selleck a dignified death, young Spock chooses the latter and in doing so, decides to live by his Vulcan heritage. Wait, did you just say sell it? Seal it. Oh, I thought you said, give him the it. choice to keeping his pet alive or sell it. Oh, no. Sell, seal. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Gets that Giving the seal it, maybe I did mispronounce it. They do, on the open death. market, those things go for a lot. <laughs> Selleck returns to the future to find the timelines restored to normal and resumes his station on the Enterprise. I'm just going to say it. This is the best episode of Star Trek the Animated Series. And it's not just my opinion. No, it's my opinion as well. Yeah. You kind of had it signposted by the fact that D.C. Fontana, the legitimate mother of Star Trek, wrote the episode. Well, she was also the showrunner as well on this, because Roddenberry was busy off doing other stuff, like trying to get the film off the ground or the TV show off the ground or whatever it ended up being. So Dorothy Fontana ended up being showrunner. So even though this is probably the only script she actually wrote, her fingerprints are all over all the other ones as well. And this this episode actually provides the bona fides, if you will, to make Star Trek Animated Series canon, which I'm in the camp that, yes, it is canon. It's goofy. It's not completely compliant with continuity, but let's be honest, Star Trek's continuity is all over the place. Yeah, I... I I've never seen that argument. I did an episode of Palace about this episode, and I'd never really taken on board the argument that this show wasn't canon, and a word I'm growing to loathe with every passing day, um, when it is no worse than some of the third season episodes of the show, Mm -mm. and a damn sight better than a number of the third season episodes of the show. So I don't know why Roddenberry would have a problem with the canonosity, if that is even a word, (laughs) of this particular series. I, I I don't understand why he would do that. Because there's nothing in it that contradicts anything else, other than, obviously, as we get along, we'll see that the Enterprise has a holodeck, a variation of a holodeck, before the next generation does. But even that's not a contradiction. They don't say in Next Generation that the holodeck's a new invention. No. No, it's... I, I would say the only weaknesses in this episode is probably based on the fact that you know, it, it's it's a weakness in this one that's a strength in some of the other animated episodes. Uh, the fact that they only had 22 minutes to work with. Because I, yeah. think you could, I think if you had this as an hour episode, you could have done a lot more. You could have done a lot more setup with the, you know, the Guardian of Forever thing that they did. Uh, and then you could have had a lot more confusion to figure out why all of a sudden you have an Andorian as your, uh, you know, your first mm. officer. And then you could yeah, have they could have had a lot more the, fun, couldn't they? Yeah, I think so. And that's, you know, I, I 
I guess they probably could have made it as a two-part episode, but they probably, you know, I, I don't know that the powers that be were going to let them do that. No, no. They, they try to avoid those on Saturday morning cartoons, but they also try to avoid, you know, euthanasia as a, yes. as a <laughs> topic. As a, as a general rule, they, they frown upon that. You're never going to see Iron Man put Battle Cat down, are you? <laughs> Iron Man, E-Man, sorry. That's not going to happen. I think the, the, the advantage this has of being an animated episode instead of a live action, come on, you know if this was a live action show, Shatner would have insisted on going along with Spark. Mm-hmm. Whereas because it's an animated show and he doesn't give a shit other than he's cashing the paycheck, you actually get this to be a true Spock episode. And I think that's its big benefit, that Nimmo gets to carry this on his own. Although the voice acting still isn't quite there. They don't. They still don't seem overly comfortable with doing but the how, voice acting. But how great would it have been if Shatner went with him as a hologram that no one else could see? <laughs> And he constantly checked his computer to see if things were right yet. So we could have had Quantum Leap 20 years before we had Quantum Leap. <laughs> which would have been awesome. So I, I like that they got Mark Leonard back. Because yeah, that I think that, that was been, key. Yeah. yeah, I think that must have been um, a severe budget cruncher, given that we already know Nimoy had said that originally they didn't want Takai and Nichols and Majel Barrett and, jo- and Jamie Duban were going to do other voices. And Nimoy said, no, I'm not doing it without them. So I wonder how influential he was on making sure Mark Leonard came back as Sarek. Because they didn't get Jane Wyatt back as Amanda. Is that Majel Barrett again? Or is it Michelle Nichols? Barrett, yeah. Who who has has no disrespect intended, but who has less command of multiple voices than Doohan does. (laughs) Doohan can at least be somewhat convincing in different characters. Yes, Doohan can. Because I don't think so. I don't think so. I think... I think he can. I think in this one he pulls it off a little bit better than in the prior one. He does not pull off being the Guardian of Forever. No, no. There's nothing commanding about his Guardian of Forever, which Guardian of Forever had that booming voice. Yes. Well, does did he, does he though? If you watch Discovery, does he does he Dev? I haven't so... watched that part of Discovery. Thanks, Andy. Oh, sorry. I did not know that you would not up. You would not seen that episode. I do apologize. Except that I said I you'll love it. I <laughs> love it. You'll you'll love it when you get there. Honest. Uh, you said something about the voice acting, Andy. So the the actor that does Young Spock, his name is Bill something, not yeah. Bill Robinson. <laughs> I keep wanting to say Bill Robinson, but that's not it. But the Bill poor kid, Clay. he auditioned by making a tape of the full read through. They used the audition tape. Now he didn't come back and re-record it. That was all his audition. So he didn't know until after the fact that he got it. That's that's pretty shitty thing to do because there are certainly some places that his line readings could have done with a little extra oomph. Because, you know, if he's only doing it as his audition tape, you know he would have put more effort into the real thing. Because there are places where he is a little bit stiff. Oh, yeah. And not <laughs> not in a Shatner pause way, like he's looking at the script. And now that you'd say that it's his audition piece, you're like, he probably would have done a better job in, in if he'd re-recorded it. I think he might have done a better job because he might have had better direction. But I can't mm. imagine that this kid wasn't giving it his his total effort at the time. Um, oh, no, no, he, he probably was giving it his total effort. What I'm saying is there are places where it very much <laughs> sounds like he pauses to look at the script, and that's not a choice he would have made if he'd known that this was being recorded for actual transmission. Or maybe, like you said, the director would have said, can you do that line again? Yeah, I think that's that's where it maybe you know could use a little bit of... Uh, you know, oomph, like you said, but it was probably it was probably a budgetary thing where they just didn't want to 
book the recording time, which is pretty mm-hmm. you know short sighted when you think about it. But on the other hand, the effort the, the episode doesn't really suffer for it to speak of. So I don't know if I'd go too much. The kid has a very familiar voice. I'm confident I've seen him in other things or heard him in other things. But I looked his you know he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Well, he has a page, but there's no information on it. Did he do any other acting? He was on That's the Doctor Demento that. show. Doctor Demento, really? Mm-hmm. Worrisome Will, I believe, is the the name of his character. Interesting. Well, see, the big thing with this one that I think is is open to discussion is the time travel aspect of it. Now, one of the things we've mentioned before, or I've mentioned before, that I don't really like about the J.J. Abrams movies is that the entire series of films hinges on Star Trek not doing what it has done in every other instance of the timeline being screwed over, and that is they have to fix it. Now, in this episode, you've got an argument that he changes something that he doesn't fix. In the in the original timeline, the Salak didn't die. But my argument is that if Spock doesn't go back in time to save young Spock, then the timeline as it unfolds cannot be. And therefore, it's not history being changed, it's history being put back on its proper path. And although Spock's memory is not of the Salak dying, that's another alternate reality. And this is the correct one. Because Amanda dies as well. Yeah, go on. Why would Spock have gone back in the first place to save himself? Why does he have that memory? Why would he have used the Guardian Forever to save himself? So if the so if it's not um there's a there's an actual phrase for that kind of loop, isn't there? I can't remember what it's called. There's an actual there's actual storytelling name for that loop that Paradox. if Spock hadn't no it's it's something else. It has a name and I can't remember what it is. Doesn't matter. It'll come back to me. So is you're that saying that the prophecy? it may be something like that. It has a proper name. It doesn't matter. You're saying that Spock had no reason to go back in time to save himself. If the timeline hadn't been changed, so then who was Selak in the original timeline? But that's that's just I think that's the standard uh, time travel conundrum that we're uh, that we're addressing. Is it, it created some sort of a loop where it's always been, even though yeah. it couldn't have possibly been the first time around? Is uh, it a causality loop? Ah, that's the one. It's something like that. Something like yeah, that. it's like my I, theory on that. I, I I think that the timeline they returned to with the Andorian first officer may have been the air quotes here correct timeline. How can you make how can you make that judgment? Because there would be no reason for Spock to go back. So they go back to the quote unquote correct timeline. Spock creates the timeline that he remembers and that Kirk remembers. They're the only two that are affected here. Because they were outside of the timeline when the changes took effect. Exactly. But Spock had to go back because he remembers cousin Tom Selleck. Because he's on, because he's in the based on a timeline that he he's remembering because he's alive in that timeline. He's an anomaly. distant cousin with a very cool mustache saved yeah. me. <laughs> I liked his I, I particularly liked his Hawaiian shirts. Yes, <laughs> but that was my theory when watching that. Or maybe it's just it's a cartoon and I'm overthinking it. No, but it I mean be- I think that's true in so many time travel stories. I think that you know you, you're not you're not hitting on a. Uh, a paradox that that you know we haven't seen over and over again. I think it's it's almost standard time travel lore. Not in Back to the Future, which is the Holy Bible Spock. of time travel. Spock. And who who changed the timeline originally? Then right, Spock. It would be most logical for you to come with me if you want to live. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I guess they're going on the theory uh, of you know just since we are an offshoot of Listen to the Prophets here, that time is not necessarily a linear thing. We view it linear, linearly, but it's more complex than that. And therefore, even though there has to be the chain of events that bring him to come back, it's always been that way because it makes your brain hurt. But I guess that's how you have to look at it. Hmm. We're here now. Yeah. All along. Let me make a brain hurt even more. I have a very, very serious question about this episode, and I think it, it, it bears some, you know, some real thought as to, you know, what they're trying to make you think. Uh, what's up with those outfits that the kids wear? <laughs> Why are they all walking around dressed like sumo wrestlers? They're He-Man cosplayers. <laughs> I just need some furry boots. It's hot. Oh, that's oh, that's valid actually. I love. I loved it. Was, it, was, it was Angela who pointed this out. I love Sarek's totally unbiased description of Vulcan being awesome and everywhere else sucks. <laughs> and he's telling, and he's telling, he's telling young Spock to choose his path. And he's and Vulcan has this and this and this and we're really good and everywhere else is shit. But actually, there's something relevant to that. This is the first time you hear anybody, Vulcan, say, well, we have emotions. We just suppress them. Mm-hmm. And it yes, changes if you if you were taking this into canon and you watch Spock in the motion picture and going forward. That's pretty relevant. That's a change to the character mm-hmm. and to the way Vulcans are presented in subsequent shows like TNG, DS9, yeah, Enterprise. Well, that's, that's the problem with the subsequent shows, not taking any notice of this. Because uh, I think the the implication with Spock, and certainly this, this is clearly what Dorothy Fontana thinks, is that he's always been suppressing his emotions rather than not being in possession of them. Mm-hmm. Because certainly the emotional response he has when Kirk's alive in a mock time is emotion. And there are other times in the series as well. Yeah, well, the one with the spores. Is it yeah. the side of paradise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, he wouldn't be able to do that with Leela Kamone, if that's her name. Um if he didn't have emotions. And well, certainly you have, the, you have the, Sarek going through his his illness in yeah. the episode titled Sarek. Yes. And that stems from this. They, is, is it in Sarek or in Unification where they directly reference the Sealet? Sealet. That thing. I think it's there. Unification. That's, Why is it I thought that they referred to when, it in... Uh, in uh, which, which is the one when... Uh, oh, Journey sorry, to Babel? Journey to Babel, yeah. Yep. Well, this, that's, that inspired this episode. In fact, the design of the sealet, because they only described it as a teddy bear with fangs, came from a fanzine. Yeah, all right. It's a good design, too. Cuddly, yeah, with giant tusks. Yeah, it is quite cute. And if, if, if the, uh, what was, oh, I forgot the name of the beast that they fight in the mountain. The La Mancha. La Mancha. If that sounds like Godzilla to you, it's because it's The Godzilla. Mountain of La Mancha. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I think of. But the sound effect actually was from Godzilla movies. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's so ripped so off. So Spock nerve pinch Godzilla. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. But then you've also got, there's a lovely little paradox there as well. So who taught young Spock how to nerve pinch? Spock. Okay, so who taught Spock? Spock. Spock. <laughs> Seal it. <laughs> Tom oh, Selleck. Now I'm starting Tom to Selleck. Selleck. I'm starting to hear um, Avery Brooks's voice. Seal it. Selleck. <laughs> Bill, you can do it better. Lalum. Seal it. Now I have this vision of Gabriel Bell teaching him how to do it. Another time travel <laughs> paradox. So, uh, a second ago, I was trying to bring up something else that was going to blow your mind. So, I found that there was a story done in a book called uh, 
in the Star Trek Myriad Universes line of books, uh, Echoes and Refractions, a story called The Chimes at Midnight, which goes into detail like, a little bit about uh, Thalen being Kirk's friend. So this is a brief description. I, I, I can't find out what happened in the book, and now I'm going to want to search out this book. In a continuing where Spock died during childhood, an Andorian named Thalen became Captain Kirk's stalwart friend and first officer, but at the moment of Khan's final defeat, history takes an even stranger turn, and the emerging potential of Project Genesis is revealed as the galaxy's greatest hope and its most ominous threat. So they did explore him, at least in one story, a little bit further. All right. I want that book now. Is that, when was that published, Bill? Uh, that was published. Let me take a look. Uh, da, 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 Sometime in to, yesteryear, I believe. <laughs> I will have to... Well, oh, wait. I could go back a page. It should pop up. Uh, that was That's a paperback. It was in August of 2008. Okay. So a more recent one. Okay. Ooh. Reminds me to check Kindle later today. Anyway, getting off course. <laughs> so who else cried? Oh, I started. I started to tear up because I remember watching this as a kid, and this really hurt as a child. It hurts as an adult. If you've had a pet that you've lost or been on the cusp of losing, yeah, it, it's it's a stab to the heart. In fact, it was inspired by Dorothy Fontana's cat passing. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, Bobby McGee. Did, did it save her from some beast? No, it's just the sort of the idea of youth, euthanasia is, is a, it's a rough one, and I Spock really does put something on the table that's beautiful when he says in two places one he's like well it's it's morning but it's not sad if if it's a life that wasn't wasted which and made me just yeah get all introspective well crap what the what have i been doing and then kirk is like well that wouldn't be important if a pet died and spock's like depends on the pet dude slow your roll <laughs> look asshole <laughs> spock's spock's all like look you never had a dog dude yeah you don't even know but Spock's not wrong, and that's... I mean, pets can be meaningful. Mm. And then Kirk says, Well, I had a brother. And then Spock goes, Well, well, we'll find out later. Yeah. <laughs> so now... <laughs> and Spock says, Yeah, well, I've got a brother and a sister, dude. But now... Uh, and nobody knows about it. So, essentially, they decided, though, that Spock's life was more important than the creature's life. Aichia's life. Because there's no, no reason to go no. back and save that. It, it's more a case of that... I interpret it as the universe needs Spock because he plays a very important part in, in important galaxy events. But the Salat's importance was in making sure that Spock didn't die at that moment. That See, was his role. As much as I agree that Spock is important, uh, <laughs> there's no evidence of it in this episode. Life went on without him finally, and Dorian took over as the first officer. They got this big <laughs> hawk creature thing hanging out with them with, does, with James Dewan's voice. It does beg the question, how did other episodes turn out without Spock? The immunity syndrome, for example, hinges entirely on Spock's willingness to go out into the big blobby amoeba and sacrifice himself. And the doomsday clearly, machine... Clearly they didn't die. <laughs> so so what happens in a mock time, then? Who does, who does to bring rip off in a mock time if Spock's not around? Does she just go out and marry Stomp? Yeah. yeah. And, w- <clears throat> and what happens in the taste of Armageddon? Yeah. Where Spock's the one who, through the wall, knocks the god out. Maybe the Andorian does it. Or, or, there's a logic to it. Spock didn't want to interfere with the timeline even more and risk screwing it up irreparably. Yeah, the whole butterfly effect. Yeah. Well, I think this episode just kind of like 
spits on the butterfly effect while paying it homage at the same time. Because obviously, you know, things are changed to the point where Spock dies and they have to go back and fix it. So that's saying the butterfly effect. But then when he goes back, there's nothing surreptitious about what he does at all. You know, he's, he's just ingratiating himself with the family, hanging out with them. There's no effort whatsoever to to not leave a footprint on, on the past. What? He didn't say, hi, I'm Spock. Uh, I'm your uh, cousin. Uh, uh, I'm going I, I don't know. What name would you like to call me? <laughs> I'm going to pray to our gods. But All you know right? what's funny is my wife and I had this discussion about a... a a similar circumstance minus the time travel. And my wife was like, well, how could he not remember this person all these years later? Mm-hmm. Says, it, but if you think about it, it was maybe, what, two days, three tops? Yeah. However I, many years ago. Well, do you remember everybody you went to high school with? Yes, because I have a list of... Never mind. <laughs> I remember everybody, everybody <laughs> I went to high school with who saved my life. What? Oh, that's valid. I mean... You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm making fun of things in the episode. I think it was really, really good. So I got yeah. to get, you know, I have to point that out. I'm pointing out, you know, I'm talking about what I think are certain inconsistencies or certain things, as I said earlier, that I think were kind of sacrificed to make it fit the time frame. Uh, but all that said, I think in a 22-minute episode and that they had to come to a conclusion on it, I think they did this almost as well as, as they possibly could. I can't see any point in the script where I think, oh, this was, you know, this is where they stumbled and should have had this. You know, I don't think that that happens in this one at all. No, and you've only got maybe one instance that I caught where body parts go missing. <clears throat> have you mentioned that yet? Mm. We haven't really talked about it, but yeah. Okay, something to watch for for everybody on the show and everybody at home. When you're watching the show, every now and then, certain body parts will disappear. Most of the time, it's fairly unnoticeable. In this one, it was in a conference room, and Scott's, uh, Spock's lower half was missing in the chair. <laughs> but that's because they could only layer up to six um, cells on top of each other before things got distorted. So they'll leave off unimportant things. There you go. Hey, you let them leave off your legs and see if you think it's unimportant. <laughs> well, I'm not animated. My legs! And this- you took my legs! And you'll be seeing that bird guy, or at least his race again. His name is Alik Ohm. I had to look that up because I remember I vaguely remembered it. He'll the he's an Aurelian. You'll see those again in an episode called Envoys. Right? There's no, that's the Lower Decks episode. So they do come back in Lower Decks as well. There's another episode down the road, but I can't remember which one. You're welcome. I'm just seeing all the Lower Decks. I get that reference. There you go. Hey, there was a novelization of this episode. Yes, Alan Dean Foster did Star Trek's Logs through Ten, which novelized every single episode of the animated show and in many ways they work better than the animated show because the stories are quite good and what he does is he takes three scripts and he weaves them all into a complete novel until later on when he's only got one script per novel and then the rails come off a little bit essentially he's making up completely new stories and as far as i understand it paramount's still paying his royalties that must be nice paramount's yeah paramount's like disney like Disney don't pay him his royalties despite the fact he's wrote many Star Wars novels for them this is where we stare at the camera (laughs) but yeah if you've never read the log they are better novelizations of the episodes than James Blish's because Blish essentially just did books full of short stories Mm -hmm. and like I say what Dean Foster does he turns three scripts into a complete novel $7.99 on Kindle are you out of your mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah I noticed that too keep an eye out because and here's another tip Every month, at the beginning of the month, Amazon will have Kindle books, Star Trek, that are 
what, ninety nine, a dollar ninety nine in some cases? Yeah. And it's a different list every month. I could just buy it for two dollars and four cents and have it. That way, you know, when technology fails, I'll still have a book. <laughs> but you won't have your, but you won't have your glasses. That's right. I the guess Star- we should get to the rating of the oh, go ahead. The uh, Star Trek log books, I don't think they're available on Kindle. I didn't see them on Kindle, but you can usually I ran into some hardcover versions at flea markets. So keep an eye out or used bookstores. They do seem to be pl- pretty plentiful. And I know Barnes and Noble a couple of years ago put out a large chunky hardback of all of them. For read about twenty five dollars, which isn't bad for the chunk of book you're getting. It's borderline vagrant killer, so <laughs> I guess we should get to rating this. Are we still doing the five? Yeah, same same scale. Um so kind of putting it in context with 22 minutes, I'm going to put it at 4.5 because the animation mm. in some places got a little goofy, especially on the face of the healer and things of that nature. But that's a small pittance for what's a meaningful episode of an animated series that feels like it transcends children's television. I'm yeah, um, the same. Oh, go ahead, Andy. No, I was going to say exactly the same. It sounded like you were going to say, I'm in exactly the same position. I think the storyline is really good and really interesting. It's nice to see um, the continuity of having the Guardian of Forever in it, even though the explanation of what the Guardian of Forever is is a little bit off when you compare it to the original show, but whatever. And uh, it's nice to have... Oh, go on. No, no, I almost spoiled something for Dave, and I'll be quiet. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's a really good show. Yeah, I'd go 4.5. I think script-wise, it's great. Yeah, I was in the same camp. I'm at I'm at four point five. I, uh, I I think this is you know for for an animated show uh, with you know less than stellar uh, production values by today's standards, uh, and and you know obvious budgetary concerns that they had. Uh, I think this really rises above uh, you know the, the the standards of what what you'd expect for the day. I think the story is is thought provoking. It's it's uh, well written, and it does as well in the twenty two minute format as it could. Um, any animated show that can make me cry as a child and maybe as an adult, uh, I'm not gonna say. You don't have to lie to King <laughs> <a> Bill. <laughs> I'll just say that there was, you know, it's like I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> You're crying. It's not that Bill doesn't have emotion. He just doesn't I just show them. Regret- I, I, they just can't get out of my fat. <laughs> so I I will give this 4.5 uh, broken or 4.5 Ichaya tusks, and I will have the half a tusk in my heart. Aww. Or through your heart. <laughs> I'm right there with everybody else. 4.5. You're not going to get any better than this. As far as the animated series goes. We're basically conceding at this point there will be no five-point animated episode. Oh, wow. We didn't do a five yet. I don't think we did. Well, unless something comes out and surprises us. Spoiler, much like the show, we're out of order. (laughs) But, you know, we're we're working on a memory of this show, for the most part, which is not very distinct. So, as of right now, we're sitting here saying this is the commonly accepted best episode of the series. We think that's probably correct, but hmm. no, I was giving us an I was giving us an out because we've recorded episodes out of order, <laughs> and I don't think yeah we we haven't given anything a five allegedly allegedly. So did did any of you actually were were you aware of this when it was first airing? Because Bill sounded like he did. I probably saw it a f- maybe a few years. I don't think I. S- I don't. I'm not positive I saw it in '73 because I would have been four. 
and I don't think I had a really big love of Star Trek until I got to be about six or seven. Um, so I probably saw it on reruns somewhere. But I did see it at, at, as a child. No, 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 no. That wasn't around when I was. Oh, because that's how I discovered it. It was in reruns. I had no idea it existed. And out of nowhere, one afternoon, because it was a summer we had cable, Nickelodeon played Star Trek. I'm like, what is this? And I thought they were animated versions of real of the original episodes, but blew my ever-loving mind. See, I have I no never... memory of this show being on, but at the age I would have been when it was on, I cannot imagine that I was unaware of it. So I think it's just I knew it existed, but I there was no way to watch it at the time. I never did. I know the BBC picked it up in 1974, and they gave it a, a reasonable time slot. It aired at five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, which by and large they didn't really do with cartoons over here. They were after straight after um, school or on Saturdays, so they gave it a decent time slot, and it ran until 1977 in various stages but i never saw it i only saw it when it came on in the mid 90s and it's one of those like it was kind of like the forgotten chapter of of star trek Starlog really mentioned it as well mm. and i don't i don't remember where i first heard of it i think it may have been in like a Starlog episode guide book do you remember those magazines that they used to do that were just episode guides mm-hmm and I, I think they did one that mentioned the animated series. And I think that was the first place that I heard of it. My knowledge of them comes from Alan Dean Foster's books. Hmm. So having discussed what we think... Wait, 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 episode, wait, 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 wait. I'm waiting. One little, one little trivia thing that I picked up by reading through some of the production stuff. Did you guys know that Hal Sutherland, the director, is colorblind? Has a type of colorblindness? And that caused color issues throughout, you know, at some points in the series? I mean, so at some point... They should have rethought their choice of direct. <laughs> Maybe I mean, like a gray Andorian? Like a gray Andorian. Uh, we're going to see pink tribbles, which is, you know... Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I just didn't want to, you know, wanted to slip that in there real quick. Yeah, you did. A pink tribble? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so that's what we thought of the episode. But what does Blaine think? How should I know? <laughs> Incoming transmission. Hi guys. I am always down for a Spock-centric episode, particularly with the late, great Dorothy Fontana at the keyboard. This manages to be a wonderful sequel to both Journey into Babel and City on the Edge of Forever, exploring Spock's childhood and human half, while keeping the death of a loved one as the price of time travel. This is where we learn Amanda's last name, and where Spock's inquiries into his own history firmly establish him as an only child two elements of canon which will never be changed or rewritten. It also brings in an element of animation that I didn't mention last time around, although I trust you guys did. It'll be some time before I hear your thoughts on these, as I'm recording this in October of 2020. It's wonderful to have most of the cast return. The desire to show change with an alien that live-action wouldn't support meant that Chekhov was replaced by Arix. The original plan was to have only Shatner and Nimoy return, but Nimoy wouldn't stand for that and refused to participate unless all main cast members continued to voice their characters. With Chekhov off-screen, but Walter Koenig now an established writer, Nimoy successfully lobbied to have him brought in to write an episode so he could still be paid for participating somehow. So thus, we hear the original voices of William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, Nichelle Nichols, George Takei, James Doohan, James Doohan, Michelle Barrett Roddenberry, Michelle Barrett Roddenberry, James Doohan, James Doohan, James Doohan, James Doohan, and James Doohan this week. 
Voice acting contracts at the time would allow directors to have their main cast voice up to four characters before they had to pay them extra, and Doom was good enough that they generally pay him a double salary to voice five to eight characters. Here he's the voices of Scotty, Kyle, the Guardian of Forever, the Healer, the Andorian First Officer, and a couple more. He even recorded an eighth voice, Sarex, before Mark Leonard became available. Majel Barrett voiced Amanda Grayson, the ship's computer, and the female scientist. The young Bully was voiced by the director's son, and young Spock was voiced by Billy Simpson. Simpson auditioned by recording all dialogue for the character on tape and sending the tape in. The tape was good enough that those are the recordings you hear in the episode. Billy Simpson is now better known as Whimsical Will on the Dr. Demento show. Working on screen, this may be the most pivotal Spock story until Trek went to the movies. We see more of his formative years than we do of any other character, and it means something for his development and shows us why he is so focused on the Vulcan side of his heritage instead of the human side. Plus the euthanasia ending that the network tried to fight, but Roddenberry fought for by insisting that they trust Dorothy. This has a reputation for being the best of the animated series, and that's not a position I can argue. I give this one 5 out of 5. So it did get a 5. It did get a 5, just not from the primary uh, primary cast of the show. And I agree with Gene Roddenberry. Always trust Dorothy. Yes, I, I can't argue with that. So, yeah, I mean, Blaine hits on a lot of the points that we made. I agree with pretty much everything he says here, except I gave it a 4.5 because I'm a you know negative kind of guy. Well, that was just uh, due to animation. I think we were all on the same page with the animation, and it's filmation. But even for filmation, there were some, some goofy little moments. Animation and some of the voice. Ah, uh, yeah. But uh, as far as the story goes, yeah, I, I would say it's a five. Uh, so that's it for Blaine. Any, anything else to add before we wrap this thing up? They're not the best crew in the world for anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then I guess that's it. Dave, I'm glad you were able to come back and join us again today. Yes, and thank you for allegedly changing the schedule to allow me to be on this episode. Allegedly. Allegedly. Don't, what? don't let anybody know that we, we're... We changed everything. We Time travel. Have, yeah, that's it. <laughs> don't don't let anybody know that, we, that we're willing to... Uh, to, to do in any way uh, compromise our uh, our values for you. No, I'll Wait, keep that to my values. Well, there's that. <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> Wait, are we going to ask what we're doing next time? Oh yeah, I, f- I forgot. Whoops. Oh, shock it. Next hey, time, what are we doing next time? On an all new Andy. episode. <laughs> Next time on an all-new episode of whatever we're calling this show, Edgar Rice Burroughs drops by to adapt his short story Beyond the Furthest Star into the Star Trek format. Captain's Log, Stardate 5371.3. A huge cosmic cloud has been reported moving into the outer fringe of our galaxy. Nothing like it has ever been seen before. Captain Alondra has disappeared from navigation scan. The cloud has engulfed Alondra. Locked on. Phases registered. Fire. Fired. Even if I had the ships available to totally evacuate the planet. You have time to save some people, Bob. That won't be long enough either. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am very small. And there are many of me. We are in a spaceship. Within you. Jim, if we don't self-destruct now, all those people will die. 
No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Not really. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. 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 Toon Trek is based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, and is a Two True Freaks presentation. It's hosted by Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and produced and guest-hosted on occasion by J. David Wheaton. All music and clips are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a review show, and as such, protected under fair use. Yeah, let's go with that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Toon Trek. My memory's getting shocking as I get older. Yeah, join the club. Who are you guys? That's an exceptional question. Why am I? Why am I? Who am I? Where am I? Where am I going? What will I see? What are the words? BJ and the Bear and Sheriff Lobo today.